While you're turning to 1 Corinthians, we're going to keep going. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to finish that out. wanted to ask, a, take a quick poll with a show of hands. How many of you have ever, ever tried to change someone's mind on, on anything, whatever it is, food, preferences, whatever? Raise your hand. All right. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, you're the one that's probably trying to get your mind changed, right? Now, for those of you that raised your hand, how many of you, no, I don't want you guys to admit this. Um, I'm going to change the question. How many of you were successful in changing their mind about something? Okay. There's not as many hands being raised, (laughs) and that's actually not uncommon. See, sometimes we, we start to lose sight of our real mission, of what really we're called to do in this life. And so we start to focus on things that make us feel like we're right, or we're in control, or, or finally someone's listening or doing what I told them. I was working in IT with a guy for years. We had the same office. And we had gone to go help some of the security team that was working on cybersecurity, and they had, again, broken things. And all they had to do was do what we told them. We came back to our office and sat down, and he looks at me, he goes, Joe, I am so frustrated. And I said, why, what's wrong? And I said, actually, I am too. He goes, why can't they just listen? And he looks at me with this, like, angry smile. It's like, all they had to do was just listen. I mean, I could write it down, and they'll still look at it and go, nah, and do whatever they want. And we can get frustrated in wanting to, to push and, and shove these things that we believe, and, they, and it really ends up being we just want people to be like us because it's uncomfortable if they're not. And so Paul, in the book of Corinthians, actually was dealing with some of that. He started out the first two chapters and said, listen, I didn't come to you to sound this way or that way or cover these types of topics. I came to you to know what? The gospel of Jesus, and that's it, period, done. And it's important for us to realize that, that that doesn't mean that we forego relevance, because if we're not relevant, then we actually violate 1 Corinthians 14, which says, don't be speaking unintelligible because it benefits nobody. We have to balance that. But it has to be our goal that we have to reconcile with Jesus first, and then decide if we still want to be friends with them because they drink cruddy coffee. That's the fight that we want to have is the one over Jesus first. And nothing else. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you want to scoot down to verse 19, Paul is continuing, and we're going to keep going in this freedom and rights type of theme for the next teaching or two, because Paul is building a case all the way through the book of Corinthians from, from chapter 1, and we've gone nine chapters so far, almost all the way full, nine chapters. And there's three more chapters of 1 Corinthians until we get to the chapter of love, 1 Corinthians 13. It's, 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 it, I'm excited to get there, but it's important because Paul is really, truly building a case for what the Greek word is, agape, or the active sense of it all, agapeo, which means I have an unconditional care for others. And that would be what drives me. That includes evangelism. That includes personal friendships. That especially includes long-term relationships like marriage and family and so on. We all know that. If we've been married for more than five and a half seconds, it requires unconditional love to stay together and not end up either in one cell or another or having to dig into the frozen ground and try and bury the evidence. There's str- that was a joke. Um, there's struggles that we all go through that we realize, man, I need God's love. Okay, some of you get it now. <laughs> So in about a month, for those of you that are new to Alaska, the ground freezes solid and you have to wait to dig. So but we, have, we have these struggles that we go through in life that we realize really quickly, I, I can't like this person. And I was meeting with pastors this week. We meet every Thursday and we were praying and talking and someone used the phrase, yeah, you know, we got to learn how to like, we got to learn how to love people even if we don't like them. And I said, I don't agree with that which is normal for me. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I was challenged that true agape likes and loves. May not prefer it, 
But there's a like, meaning that we care about them and what they like and what they enjoy. I don't have to agree. I'm not endorsing that because I care for that person. We have to realize that. Endorsement says, I endorse this. I'm wearing the t-shirt and selling the merchandise. But care is different. That was why the Pharisees, were their minds were blown. Jesus irritated them to no end. Why? Because he wasn't hanging with them. He's hanging with the prostitutes and the druggies and all these other problem people in the community. Why? Because the people who had the truth didn't care. They wanted to change their mind to a religious stance. So Paul, talking about freedom, talking about rights, dealing with the same thing that's been dealt with for thousands of years with religious communities, says this in verse 19. Though I am free, and remember he said this, I'm free because of Christ and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone. Now, if you have a different translation, some translations say, since I'm free, I can make myself a slave to anyone. I can set myself in a position where I can do whatever they need. And why? There's a comma. He doesn't put a period there that, hey, everybody, if you're a Christian, be a doormat. What does he say? He says, why? What? Only one purpose, to win as many as possible. That's why he becomes the slave. He continues on in verse 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Not a period, because he's not talking salvation. For what end, or to what end, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though myself, I'm not under the law. Why? To win those that are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, I'm not... And he's saying, I'm not minimizing that God has requirements. God has designed us to live a certain way. What does he say? So to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things. Catch this, catch this structure here. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Now, not only is that a drive but it's also a reality check. He realizes that just because he puts in all of his life and all of his effort, everybody's not going to come crawling forward screaming, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. Do we want that because we love them and love Jesus? Of course we do. But Paul says, I'm not leaving any of these missed opportunities in my hands. I'm doing everything I can with every person, with every possible chance I get to do what? To share the gospel and win some for Christ. Now, those are words, the word all, if you've been here for more than one or two services or you've heard different teachings, you know when I say the word all, it actually means all. And my kids know this. If I ask for all the bacon, I want all the bacon. If I ask for all the donuts, I want all the donuts. I don't want you to hold back one because it's your favorite. I want all of them. And so Paul says here, all, 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 that I might win some. I know that God can move and work. And I will do anything I can to make sure that his message gets across. But right now, there's nothing going to hold me back from that truth. It's going to happen. I want this to happen. He says this, verse 22, I do all of this for the sake of me. Because you know what? Those notches in the belt, the 23 people came to Jesus because of me. That's not what he says, by the way. If you keep reading, verse 23, he says, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel. What? That I may share in its blessings. I want us to remember something, that, that there, are, there are blessings within our life, in the gospel, in doing what we're told. Evangelism itself, as we share the work of Christ, there are blessings that we miss, that God designed. It's like going to a buffet, and you're, you're sampling everything, and you're like, yeah, I'm just not going to go to that section because there's some weird people there. I'm just not going to go there. And that's the section with the good stuff. It's not the mystery jello with the weird fruit floating in it that, that, that we're going to throw the fruit away, but let's just put it in jello. It's the weird temperature stuff, and you're not sure what it is. Is it shrimp? Is it chicken? Is it it's most likely cat? I mean, there's, it's not that. We're literally leaving great things on the table with God. And this is what he says. Even Paul himself, he's like, I'm not missing out on the blessings. I'm not missing out. If you're walking along and there was a $20 bill in every chair and, it sa and I said, hey, everybody just come in and grab a $20 bill, you're going to walk by the first row and go, no, I don't want those $20 bills. I want those over there. None of us are that silly. 
I should be in children's church by saying silly. None of us are that crazy. We're going to grab the first 20 and every 20 we can see. Don't you dare try and act holy and nice. We will probably have people hurt in a church by going after the $20 bills because we're going to go after what? The blessings that are there, the amazing things that are there for us. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? He's playing Captain Obvious right now. He's going, okay, guys, if this is a race, runners run. He's getting across the point that there is, if we have a title, there's a function. There's a function to it all. Then he says this, but only one gets the prize. He's not saying that directly as Christianity. He's using that as a title and a function. He then says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Just like I said, if you want the $20 bill, what are you going to do? I'm going to walk on up there and get it. Now you're going to get trampled, and you're going to walk up and get nothing. We're going to run as if we want that prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. He's talking about uh, the isthmus there where Corinth was, had a set of games, and they had a crown made out of celery leaves, and they would braid it together and wear it. And I'm thinking, I am not going to run that hard for celery. Maybe you're like a bacon wreath, but not a celery wreath. Maybe, have you guys been to, to uh, that, the, the Moose Bakery down there in, in Soldatna, like one of the big, huge donuts? I would, I would run for a donut that big, not for celery. I'm sorry. Celery's point is to be useless but make us feel like we're eating something, right? That's why people on a diet eat it. It's like, I feel like I'm eating, but it's not doing anything to me. And this is what Paul is saying, maybe not about donuts and bacon, but Paul's saying here that the guys, they're running and they're competing and they're doing crazy things to their body to win these races And yet as Christians, we've got a prize that's much better. He continues, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave because that makes me more holy. Is not what he says. He says so that after I have preached to others, I don't get disqualified for the prize. I don't want me to take over and get the glory. I want God always to get the glory. So he has to push himself down and push himself down and push himself down in this this mission. We'll finish. That finishes chapter 9. Definitely not the teaching. Just get comfortable. But Paul goes through and talks about there's this concept of freedom. There, there's this thing that people say, you know, I like this. I like the feeling of it all. I like the freedom. And God does want us free. He wants us free from the sin. He wants us free from, from the control that the world would offer. And, and the teaching for this morning as I was praying about the title of it all is it's all about the W. It's all about the win. As you go through this section of Scripture, I even underlined it. Verse 19, what does he do? I do this to win as many as possible. Verse 20, I become a Jew to win the Jews. Continuing on at the end of verse 20, I want to win those under the law. Verse 21, I want to win those as not under the law. Verse 23, sorry, verse 22, that I might save some or win some. This is continued mindset of do we want to be winners? And I'm not talking about the ego-stroking, Everybody gets a trophy winner mindset. What I'm saying is that we, there's an effort that's put into it. There's a, there's a realization that there's something to win and be victorious in. And so as we go through this, I want us to, to think about that mindset of it's, it's, it is about the win, but not for me. And I have talked with far too many people that have come out of church and religious systems where the mentality is, let's just get them guilty and saved up and then mark a tick mark and then just keep doing the same thing when that was never Christ's model. It never should have been the model in the church. The people become a checkbox because that's not the case. That's why the vision statement for Rise Chapel is reach, comma, grow, comma, send, which then turns into a virtuous cycle that by being sent, we're reaching, and then we grow as we're reaching, and then we send, and then we reach, and then we grow, and then we send. It's that constant virtuous cycle. I want to read the first section of of 1 Corinthians because this translation I'm going to read from does a good job at drawing in really the message that Paul was pulling at. So you'll see it up here on the screen. He says this, even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I'm not I'm not stuck in the Instagram life of I have to perform and look right. 
I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. I had a discussion with someone who was a leader in, in some different things here in the community, and they didn't like how I was preaching. I was leading a, a different study, and they said, well, you, can't, you can't teach that way. I said, I said, why? Well, this is the best way to teach the Bible. I said, Jesus didn't even teach that way. Jesus didn't even focus on things that way. When I go and I listen to what Paul says, he says, I'm going to do everything in all of my power at all times to what? To reach some. Are we willing, are we really willing to let go of preferences and comforts because the gospel demands it? That's important. He continues on. The religious, the non-religious, the meticulous moralists, the loose-living immoralists, this list of people, he says what? The, those that are defeated, demoralized, whoever. He doesn't put a list on it. Then he says this, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and it tried to experience things from their point of view. There are a lot of pastors that I've met with and talked with that are starting to see more value in spending more time outside of the office in the church building and going into community places, going into restaurants, going into stores, working a few hours part-time here and there. Why? To connect to the people. Because it's very easy to think and get tempted and drawn into that doing church is being a Christian. That coming to a building and checking boxes and feeling happy about it or seeing the potential in it is the same as being alive for Christ, and it's not. It's hard to have a heart for the lost and the broken if we're never hanging out and seeing the lost and the broken live. And we become irrelevant often. We come into a point where we don't have any validity in what we say. Not that they're right in saying, you can't talk to me about this. But why would I ever listen? You don't understand me. You're a pastor. You hang out in a church all day. How could you know anything of what I experience in my life? Well, you're kind of right. I'm not saying we run away from the call that God has for us, and that's one of the conversations I've had with pastors, is we, we have a duty. Ephesians 4 says what? We're to be there part of growing and building up people to do the work of ministry, but not to the detriment of being relevant and actually having validity in what we talk about. Here he continues in the next part of that verse, I become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those into a God-saved life. And here's what I want us to realize, this point here, is there's a temptation a lot of times to have this, I'm going to bring some to some because we realize only some might listen. And so we take into our hands what is only in God's, and that's the decision for salvation. And so we, we don't really bring a pure message of Jesus. We try and say, well, I know Paul said some, but I'm going for all, so I'm going to tweak it. I'm going to add a political spin to it. I'm going to add a moral spin to it. I'm going to add a personal spin to it, whatever it is. Here's the thing. If we really have a, a desire to reach people and have their lives changed for Jesus, we can only bring the pure message of Jesus. Anything I add to it actually does not bring life. It brings death. Because I've shared something different than the gospel. Only the gospel is good news. Everything outside of that most likely isn't. And we have to realize that. This one sometimes isn't very hard. In fact, many of us, no matter where we're at in our walk, we'd say, well, I agree with that, Pastor. Totally agree with that. And I would too. Some of the times in my life, I know that I've had said, yeah, absolutely, pure message of Jesus. This is my focus. This is my drive. This is my push. But here's the one that we fail on. We make the decision. Why? Well, I, I mean, I don't think they would accept Jesus. I'm not going to bring it up. We can never choose who we think needs or deserves the gospel. Because guess how many of us need it? All. Guess how many of us deserve it? None. So if we ever make the choice of who needs it or who deserves it, I, I don't know if they're really going to listen. Joe, you, you have no idea. You have no idea where I work. You have no idea where I live. You really don't know. I don't need to because God already made it super simple. There's nobody that deserves it because there's none righteous. And guess what? We all need it. There. Well, what if they sound or look or act like this? 
Sounds like they need Jesus. Well, yeah, we can agree on that, but Jesus went to the crowd that was likely the ruffians, the fishermen, who hung out at night, a little bit cast off, sometimes probably because of smell, and went to them. He didn't go to them because, well, they didn't say any of the bad words that were around at that time. They didn't tell any crude jokes. And No, he went to them because they were the ones who had the need, which is everyone, and they were the ones who didn't deserve it, which is everyone. So we have to be careful that we don't get caught up in, I'm going to be some things to some people because I know who needs the gospel. We don't. We don't know. We don't know how God's going to orchestrate those situations. I've had some of the most impactful conversations with people that in a different mindset, I probably would have been afraid of them killing me. But I watched them weep with the message of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus knew the work that needed to happen. And all he wanted from me was for me to say, yes, I'll obey you, God. I'll do what you say. Because what's the worst that will happen? I live. That's, the, that's actually the worst that would happen. Dying for Christ is not a bad thing. I'm not saying I'm out there jumping off a bridge tempting him. But it's important for us to realize. And there's something that's important. If you think about the gospel, when Paul says here in verse 23, you'll look at it here. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. There are blessings in the gospel that, that are important for us to remember that we all have a part in the gospel. There's, there's not a scenario where as soon as we've been saved up, actually, if you want to watch a funny comedy skit, Michael Jr. does a, a skit called Too Saved. Have you ever met anybody that's too saved? And it's pretty funny and mostly true. And, and as soon as we kind of get saved up and become Christian and then that, that fire that we have because everyone said it to us, oh, that'll fizzle out and you'll become normal again, which is a lie from Satan. As soon as that fizzles out, then we've, we've experienced the gospel and we're good to go. No, the gospel doesn't end. There's an entrance and there is no end because it's into his kingdom. It's into his family now. And that's what the gospel does is it reconciles us. Here's what I want us to realize, though. This is hard to think about if you haven't heard this before. The gospel is not just about how to be saved. Because Paul says here that to sh he wants to share in the blessings of the gospel. Well, Paul done got saved up. What else is there for him to deal with? There's a mission. There's a call. So the gospel itself is not just how to be saved. It's not a manual of, okay, I'm a sinner. Yeah, 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 I, I get that. We all are, and I need Jesus. Yeah, he'll take care of my guilt. And, okay, Jesus, I love you. I want to I be forgiven by you. And, and I get my car, and you flip it over. Like, oh, it's done. I've experienced the gospel. No, it's a lifestyle. It's a transforming lifestyle for us as Christians. Salvation is the entrance. Call it the door. Call it the gateway. Call it the, uh, the, the, the end sign, whatever it is. But it's only a piece because it's a life in the gospel. There are blessings that God has for us in that. Let me read to you. You don't have to turn there unless you're a speed turner, but you'll go one book over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read a section of that to you this morning because there's a point of reconciliation. And I'm not going to use that word much more because it's just too big and unnecessary. Verse 14 of chapter 5 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convicted that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The him here, from a pronoun perspective, is Jesus. So from now on, we regard no one according to a worldly point of view. We can't look at anybody as if, as if they're, they, they, their appearances and their actions are what changed them. He says, we once regarded Christ in this way, but we don't even do that anymore. Verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself, who reconnected us with him, who brought us back into the family, broke away the things that came against us in him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, meaning that as soon as we enter in to being reconciled and reconnected with our Creator, 
we are handed the ministry of, which means giving out of the same thing we got. Now think of that. That, that says to me that there's no greater need. A lot of people say man's greatest need is forgiveness. I think it's a great need. But the greatest need is reconciliation, being connected back with the one who gave us life. If you were to cut off a branch on a tree, and on that tree there was a, uh, you know, a, a spot that was open and, and sore and, and, and the sap was dripping and everything, you took that branch, within a few minutes it still looks like it's green, it still looks okay, it still looks fine. It's like, yeah, this, this tree is fine. But over time, what happens? You've got to reconnect that branch to that tree or that branch is going to die. It's not going to have any purpose. It's not going to have any life to it all. And that's how we are. We can't live and truly be active, disconnected from our creator. I'm saying that for every human in all of time has that issue. That we have to be connected to the source of life. Yeah, we can set it in water, but then the water goes away and we don't have anything. We can try and shove it into the soil and maybe get some roots and then the wind comes and it blows over. The greatest source of life is to reconnect it back into its source of life. As you continue on, verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are the ones who carry his name and his message as though he were making an appeal through us. We implore you, which is just this, this humble begging to say on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul realizes the importance of the ministry. And just to kind of cap off that point, you'll see our greatest need is to be reconnected with our Creator. Now that reconnection happens through what? A gracious forgiveness for what it was when we separated ourselves from Him. Here, here's what reconciliation looks like. You, you can try and write this down. You're not going to have enough time. I just talk too fast anyways. Reconciliation or reconnected to a creator says we're healed of sickness and the guilt of sin. We're empowered for the new life and the hope for this life and beyond. And we're saved from the wrath of his enemies. That's a huge package deal there. And it has to be all of it. The message of the gospel is not come to Jesus and everything is perfect. I have plenty of people, including myself, that will tell you the Christian life is not a cakewalk. I haven't found any unicorns, lollipops, rainbows, and people still stink. It's not how the gospel works. It's also not a life of, it just as long as it's terrible, then I know I'm doing it right. That's wrong also, because God says that he designed us, that there will be joy inside of him, that even in the midst of pain, we can find purpose. But the pattern is not, as long as it's terrible, we're doing it right. It's wrong. It's the middle of it all where God is our purpose and that when things get down, we know that God's still number one. When things are up, we say, God, we give you glory for that too. But it always turns back into him, our focus on him. And the temptation. The temptation is then to turn the Christian life into something that we do. And while there is action as a response to the gospel, Christianity is not empowered by a set of actions. It's empowered by a work of Christ first, by the transformation of him first. There's an action that has to go into that, but it's all a, I'll say, a reaction or a response. And as we talk about this, this running, I want us to realize something about the Christian life. It's not about checking religious boxes. I'm not more or less Christian because I do or don't do something. Here's the nature of Christianity. What was gained without merit can't be maintained with merit. That's the beauty of grace. See, I was talking with someone yesterday and a couple days ago. Morality is a constant focus in the community. It's a constant focus in politics. But here's the issue. Morality itself does not make anybody a Christian, nor does it make anybody holy. Morality by itself doesn't make me love God. My love for God will drive me to morality. There's a difference. That because I love God, I want to live my life how he designed. 
It doesn't even become morality. It simply becomes a choice. It's what I want now. But if we force ourselves and say, no, I shouldn't do that because it's wrong, then maybe we're not really connected. That we're trying to force God and through merit have Him like us more because I didn't say this bad word and I didn't do this bad thing and I didn't think this bad thought. God's love can't change. Romans 5.8 says what? It says that while we were the dirtiest, nastiest, most horrific thing ever in all of time, Christ died for us. It didn't say. Jesus would still be waiting like, yeah, you know, hey, Joe, you messed it up again. I was just getting ready to die for you, and you sinned. He never would have died if he was waiting for us to get perfect. He had to die to conquer that so that we could become perfect with him. So it doesn't matter how hard I try and squeeze out the fruit of the Spirit, all you're going to get is hemorrhoids. Spiritual hemorrhoids, and we know a lot of people like that. They're overly sensitive. They're very defensive. It's like, well, I, you know, I'm sorry I said that, or, or I shouldn't have done this, or, man, I really feel like I should do these things. And sometimes we just need to be more like a Mary and just sit back and go, man, I just want to know more of you, Jesus. I, I, just, I just want you. At the end of everything, are we okay if all was taken away but Jesus? Are we really okay with that? Paul brings up a running picture. And some people will say, Christianity is, is a mixture of a, of a marathon. It's, it's kind of long, and, and you've got to be, be, have endurance and so on. And then some people will say, no, 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 it's a, it's a sprint. You've just got to do everything for God. And then there's me, and, and, and typically I don't want to be like anybody else. And so this is something that God put on my heart. The Christian life is a marathon at sprinting pace. That's not possible, Joe. Have you ever run? Yes, I used to run until I had my back replaced. Christian life is a marathon at sprinting pace. That's not possible, Joe. That's not attainable. That's not sustainable. That's not tenable. Pick all the words. And you're right. It requires the Spirit of God to do that. The God, this race is so long, I don't know how I could do it, but I know you've asked me to, and I know, man, there are so many people hurting and dying, so I'm going to run as hard as I can, and I'll trust you for the strength. Give me the rest I need, give me the words I need, give me the wisdom I need, but I'm going to obey you. And it's easy sometimes to look at it and go, man, it's a marathon, man, there's no winners. We're all going to get into heaven, and you're right. I said this to someone one time, and he said, Joe, you're, you're really serious about this Christian thing. And I said, yeah, you know, if someone died for me, I'd really want to honor their life. He looked at me with disdain and anger when I said that, and I said, I'm just partially messing with you. And he said, no, seriously, like, why, why does it matter so much? Like, isn't there a time where you can just be like, I just need to just chill and sit down on the couch and just not think about what Jesus could want from me right then? And I said, I, I don't know how that's even possible. Like, we should be so infected that it's, like, coming off of us. And I'm not that way all the time. Trust me. Please do not put me on a pedestal. Don't put me anywhere special. We all have our moments. Plenty, there are plenty of times where I don't care about any of you. And I'm not saying that to be mean, but it's the love of God that has to work inside of me, that if I'm close to God, I care about everyone. And it's the Spirit of God working inside of me that I love every one of you, and I love anybody outside of here, that it's God working and moving. That it's his spirit that puts in that agape, the fruit of the spirit is love, that agape into me, into any of you. And that we do take it seriously, this work of Christ in us and, and, and the mission that he's called us on. Paul talks about the seriousness of it all. And if we really realize that the second that I just spent in my life is not recoverable, there is no going back, it's over. So is this second, and this second, and this. It's gone, never to come back again. What did I do for the glory of God in that second? How does someone know more about Jesus in that second? Sometimes it's just having the right focus. Sometimes it's having the right mindset of, God, I, I want to see. I want to see every opportunity you put in front of me. God, help me to see it. Well, sometimes that's all he's ever asking for is a willing, obedient heart to do what he asks, to say the things he's asked us to say. We don't have time for anything different than realizing it's a long race and we've got to move quickly because there are people dropping like crazy. If any of you guys wear KUIU hunting gear, 
One of the executives committed suicide while hunting this year, just this week. Out in the middle of nowhere, SARS looking for him, he killed himself. Two, three weeks ago, I talked to you, or last weekend, talked to you about that pastor, same thing. Life is short. And we've got so many people we're connected with. And all I could think of when I thought about the KUIU guy was, was he unapproachable because he was an executive? Was, was he someone that you really, couldn't, you really couldn't talk to? Who in that community, who in that business, the, the one Christian, the guy who's walking around scraping up trash, was he someone that shared the gospel with that guy? I don't know. But it could have been me. Who have I shared with? Does it, does it really matter? Do I realize the gravity of the situation? Not to the point that I just sit there and smacking them in the face and say, repent, repent, because that doesn't change anyone. It wouldn't change me. In fact, you wouldn't have me pinned down. I'd have you pinned down and beating you with the same Bible you hit me with. But are we there? It, it, like we read in, in Scripture, are we there in their life with them and identifying? Do we allow for them to say things that we may not agree with so we can understand who they really are and how to speak the truth in their life? And like I say every Sunday, all these questions are things that God was just knocking on my heart. Joe, who is it that you need to be sharing Christ with? Where's your focus? Do we really realize every day has a purpose to it all from our God? The temptation is to, start, to try and fight the battles of this world, to fight the battles of the flesh. And, and, and realistically, I'm not going to have this point up for very long because really the, the key point is the next point. But it's a, it's a waste to fight the battles of the flesh. It's a waste to try and prove, no, 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 you should be reading this translation of the Bible. No, 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 you should be going to this church. You should be saying these things. You should vote for this kind of person. You should not be pro this or pro that, whatever it is. It is a waste of time if Jesus isn't spoken. And the challenge that I have for all of us is that in the church, we have replaced evangelism with activism and patriotism. I'm an activist. What do you mean by that? We choose to be pro this. We choose to be anti these things. We want to push morality. We want to make sure that we have passively gotten Jesus in by legislating moral things when we won't share Jesus. And I'm not yelling at you guys. I'm, I'm frustrated with myself and I'm frustrated with the church in America that we will stand up and fight for morality, but we won't say anything about Jesus. And it just kills me because Paul's looking at this and he's, he's talking about, he, he, he beats himself, not physically, but he pushes away the fleshly drive and he says, you will listen to me. I'm not going to fight to make myself comfortable. I'm going to fight to make Jesus known, he says. Man, that's a fight we will always win because Jesus will change us and work inside of them. And if the internet is any picture, as I watched and I don't know, I don't think I've seen any of you do it, which kind of makes me want to brag, but I have watched people in my circles from the past 40 plus years of, of internet and relationships and people and so on make themselves look like total buffoons on the internet with things going on with Nike and things going on with things in the, in the government and so on. And we spend this time arguing over moral things while the world sits back and goes, man, you guys really are dumb. We're just going to keep taking whatever we want because you forgot where the power comes from. The power is not anywhere in morality. It's not anywhere in, in believing that this person is better here or there. It's believing that Jesus is the only hope. And am I obeying him? That's it. That's it. And, and, and again, I had similar conversations with people related to this, and they said, well, Joe, how can you say that? What if this whole country falls apart? The country isn't Jesus nor Christianity. Do I want my children to grow up in what I grew up in? Oh, man, and better. But I would rather they be in heaven than in a country that they're comfortable. I would rather that. I would rather that be my focus. Is it every day? No, there's some days where I'm like, man, kids, thanks to be you because you ain't going to have it as good as I did. But it's our job for them to seek Christ first, not comfort. It's our job to make sure that we're seeking the work of Jesus inside of us and not seeking to, to push some sort of activism. I sat with a great, great Christian guy, a friend of mine, and he 
was trying to evangelize, and this guy knew every button to press. And he went and he goes, well, I'm pro this. He goes, you can't be pro that. That's not Christian. And he started hitting on all these politics as if politics would change someone's mind. Well, that's a socialistic thing you're talking about. You shouldn't say that. Who cares? If Jesus hasn't transformed, they can be whatever they want because morality doesn't fix things. If morality did, Jesus didn't even have to come to earth. He's like, hey, the Jews got it. They're ultra-moral. I'm backing off. They got this thing. He came, why? Because they were only moralists and left their creator. That's why Jesus came. So the focus in, in evangelism can't be how much we're all about the good things when those are good things, but they can't come first. God commanded active infiltration of the world when Jesus said, this is my kingdom, this is the rock I'm building it on, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Those are defensive weapons, meaning we're the attackers. God didn't say, go into all the world and make sure you make some good legislation. Don't say, don't say Jesus, just say good things. He never said that. Never said that at all. It was an active infiltration by the gospel. A, 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 I won't say violent, but even Jesus does say that. There is almost a violence in the spiritual realm as we fight for the lost. I don't remember if it was Spurgeon or another. He said that if, if sinners will be going to hell, may they go to hell and have scratch marks from our hands on their legs as we try to drag them and keep them from going there. May we be part of shaking the pillars of hell and not shoring them up. And Paul has that drive here, his focus. There's not one thing in here where he's like, and make sure they vote Republican. He doesn't say that anywhere. Why? Because the problem is Jesus, not the president, not the senator, not the governor. That's the start. God has done so much for each of us. And I think if we were to sit and start writing and, and like a thank you note to God, God, I just want to start listing what you've done. It's amazing when you feel that gratitude, you want to respond to it. I want to respond to it. And, and I love it depending upon your personality. It, you, someone might do something great for you, and you're like, oh, it just drives me crazy. I have to do something awesome back to them. You just want to respond. And that's natural. God designed that. That when he has this great gift that he's given to us, there's this response because of how we were designed. Our God works within us, and it comes out of us. But we also have a choice to just back off start to forget. David, Psalm 73, starts off and says, man, I, I slipped, I almost, I almost forgot it all, the goodness of my God. I watched the evil succeed. I watched these things go on. I watched all this stuff happen. I watched the wrong person get voted in. I watched the wrong laws get passed. I watched this person succeed, and even though they're evil, I watched us lose these things that we thought were rights. I watched all these things happen, and I said, forget it. God's not God. He is not in charge. He can't be doing all of this. And then he says, I, I remember. Yes, he is. Yes, he is, because he has cared for me, and I've watched him hold his righteous and protect them. And then he stops at the end of Psalm 73, and what does he say? He says, there is nothing in heaven and there is nothing on earth that I desire before, ahead of you, God. And his priority shifts. Because when we focus on us, we think about, well, I didn't get what I want. It's really uncomfortable to be around people who don't all agree. You're not going to go down the street, Team A and Team B. You're not going to go down the street and find all the people that are voting for and rooting for Team B when you're on Team A. You're going to invite them to your house and say, come on over. We're watching Team A and Team B play sports and do these things. Come on. You're not going to invite a bunch of Team B people unless you know they're really going to lose. Maybe you're just sick like me. No, you're going to invite what? People that are going to root with you. And then what do you do? You invite one from Team B. Why? because you just want to just beat them constantly and make fun of them as soon as their team messes up because it's fun. Yes, you're sick. Come on, I know you like to do that. We like to have people around us that we agree with. 
Jesus didn't agree with anyone he met with. In fact, when they asked him a question, he goes, glad you asked that. Yeah, you're sleeping around and you've had a whole bunch of different spouses. Your problem is that you're seeking things that will never be filled. But before that, what did Jesus say? Don't touch that water, you dirty little... No, that's not what he said. He said, hey, could I get a drink of water? Well, she would never be asked for water. She's dirty. That's why she had to leave. She was a scum in the community. Why are you, wait, why are you asking me for water? Who are you? How do you know these things about me? Because Jesus cared about being right in the gospel. And who cares about how much else is wrong? That's why Jesus said there's only one sin that doesn't get forgiven, and it's the sin of not asking for forgiveness. That's it. That's the only problem we have. Well, 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 Joe, what about this? You can't fix sin without Jesus. So what's first? Jesus. Well, well, what about this? Doesn't matter. Jesus. What if they're so deep in the sin they can't hear about Jesus? Then talk about Jesus more often. It's got to be about the message of Jesus. It's got to be about the hope of Jesus. So there is no other purpose. I've told you before, I spent the longest time witnessing to a guy telling him he should stop smoking. Punch me in the face. It took me weeks for me to realize it was the stupidest endeavor ever because I could stop him from smoking because it was gross and I didn't like it and I was uncomfortable about it and he went to hell with clean lungs. How dare I? Well, after I stopped that, I told him he had to stop sleeping with his girlfriend. Yeah, that, was, that, was, that was a whole lot of motivation on that one. Finally, after several weeks of me being a moralist, I decided to be an evangelist and share the truth with him. Now, he didn't come crawling on his face, but he heard about Jesus. He still has to make the choice. I can't force it. But at least he knew that I didn't care about all the other sins until he realized that there was someone who could take all of those sins away. That was the value that he needed. Temptation, and I just kind of just talked about 10 minutes about this point. Temptation is that the gospel a lot of times is about being right or what to do, and it is not. The gospel is not about how to be right or or what to do, and all of a sudden people will like you and listen to you and do everything how you like it. It's about being together again with the one who made us. That's the gospel. If marriage, if we define the, the gospel like we do marriage, we realize that marriage is what? There is a ceremony, salvation, that puts us into marriage, and then it's lifelong commitment after that. The gospel, what is it? The gospel is these set of steps that happen where we come into his kingdom, we come into his family, and then we have a lifelong commitment after that. It's a completely different mindset that if we look at it as a commitment and a relationship, we realize that Jesus has to be that entrance, and there's nothing else that enters it. I can't just choose to be married to someone because I feel like it, because I was nice to them. That would make it really awkward. They just gave me a cart at the grocery store. Are we, are we married? No, good works don't put you in some sort of marriage, just like good works don't put us into heaven. It's a relationship maintained by the work of Jesus. So here's the struggle. Paul gets to the very end, and here's a point that comes out of this. Paul gets to the very end. Let me read this again. He says in in, in verse 26, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. You, you You can translate that a little bit differently and say, I don't run like someone running without purpose. I don't run as if I'm, yeah, I'm just out running around. Where are you headed? Don't know. Just headed somewhere. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No. I strike a blow to my body. You can underline, circle, and highlight the word my. Why? Because a lot of times we feel like we're supposed to hit somebody else because they're the problem. And I watched too many Christians argue on social media this week over things that don't matter while their neighbors plummeted to hell. I'm going to tell this person that they are not right. They shouldn't like Nike shoes. And I should have worn Nike shirt, pants, and shoes today just to prove a point. It is silly what we get ourselves into. We need to focus on the work of Jesus. We need to focus on what it is that he has us called to. 
And so Paul says, he says, I'm not, blow, I'm not striking a blow to the body of Christ. It would be kind of scary because he just said a few chapters before that if anybody messes with the body of Christ, they'll be destroyed. So he's smart. I strike a blow to my body. I remove my fleshly desires and I tell it what to do. I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I'm still in this. That I haven't gotten to a point where I'm taking the credit and I'm now the prize. As much as we think, I told you so, feels good, it never does if you truly care about the people. If you have kids that have transitioned into the teenage years, while there is a little bit of vindication saying, I told you so, or at least thinking it with your teenager, it still doesn't feel as good as we thought it would. I have a friend of mine that is in an I told you so moment right now and spent time weeping over it this morning. Because I'm angry. Why didn't they just listen? But wait a second. Why didn't they listen to Jesus has to be my focus. Because we're not out to create a bunch of followers of me. We're not out to create a bunch of followers of you. We're out to create followers of Jesus. And when we fight for people to agree with us, we fight to be right instead of holy. We fight to have a stance that, well, finally I can be comfortable around you because you vote the same as me. I had to tell someone that said, I don't believe anybody could be a Christian that doesn't vote for these types of candidates. And I said to him, I said, you're going to be really surprised in heaven. He said, what do you mean? I said, because there's going to be Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, pro-choice, pro-life. There's going to be people that had done some sort of immoral actions. There's going to be pagans. There's going to be people that came out of all these circles. And why are they there? Because they were good enough, Joe. No, because they committed and devoted their life to the work of Jesus. That's what differentiates us. And that's not comfortable for some of us. It wasn't comfortable for me. You know why it's not comfortable? Because I put a standard before God's standard and said you have to agree with me and Jesus to get to heaven. I'm not the gatekeeper. And that's what Paul says here. He's not the gatekeeper. He puts himself down. He gets rid of his own motivations so that if he acts like the gatekeeper and starts going through his own gate, he would be disqualified and would not receive the prize. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be focused on that. So here's what I want to close with. I want to close with this question. This question actually applies to anybody, whether they've accepted Jesus in their life or not. Because on one hand, as a Christian, we have comforts and preferences that have confused the message of Jesus. We've confused it. Now, here's what I want to challenge us all with this morning. In fact, I'm going to read it from Scripture so you can know. Because there's a difference between feeling, feeling convicted and then there's a feeling of condemnation. Condemnation says, you are a failure. Conviction says, there was a failure. But here's the right thing. Condemnation has a period at the end. You're a failure, period, done. It's over. There's a bridge. Go jump off. Because there is no hope in condemnation. But in conviction, it says, hey, we get a smack, we get a swat, whatever it is, and God says, hey, come back on the path with me. Come back on the focus with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. So, here's what I want to challenge us all with and encourage us all with. If God has shown you a comfort or a preference that has confused the message of Jesus in your life as a Christian, let's pray about it. Let's just get rid of it. There's going to be something we have to walk out. Yes, I'm not saying it's easy. Just decide. I'm not like talking to a depressed person. Well, why are you depressed? Just cheer up. Oh, thanks. I totally didn't think of that. No. What I'm saying is that the conviction is the step to say, God, you're right. I want to get back on the path with you. I want to get back to the mission that you have for me. So we pray about that, and we give it up to him, and we submit to him. That's where change happens. 
Here's the second part that I want to pray about. This is for someone who isn't right with Christ, who doesn't have either an alive or a real relationship, and I want to challenge you with this, that there are comforts and preferences that we don't respond to the message of Jesus that we need to let go of. There are comforts and preferences that were like, well, you, know, the, you, you don't know what the church has done to me. You don't know what Christians have done to me. Yes, I do. I'm a pastor. And I've never met such mean Christians and mean churches than I have being a pastor. So I do know what the church can do. They're human. And there's a whole bunch of hypocrites. And let me just invite you, there's always room for one more. There's always room for more. We're all going to make mistakes. The church, I will never sit here and defend. No, church history, church history is gross. It is horrific what people have done in the name of Jesus. And that is not, that is not the history that I want personally. The kingdom of Jesus was never physical. It said it in, in, in Luke and Matthew. It was never something physical that you can touch. So why would we advance it as if we could physically advance it? Man, I don't want to get started on that because you will get me fired up. No defense for church history, period, done. But then there's the personal things. The people that claimed the name of Jesus that really had comforts and preferences they wanted to push instead of Jesus. And it's time to forgive and let Jesus in. Let him do that work. So let's put our Bibles and notes away, and I want to close in prayer this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask two questions. The first thing I want to do is if you want to come back or come to Jesus and say yes to him, amen. Amen. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Anyone else? Because here's the second prayer. And it's got the same, it's got the exact same thing because it's a lifestyle. And it's time to give up the comforts and preferences and just go after Jesus. Raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Amen. 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 You can just pray this with me. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I looked for, for me and not you. I'm sorry that I wanted agreement and not holiness. God, for the times that I was hurt by church and Christians, I forgive them. And I'm sorry that I put that on you. Help me to know just you. Help me to heal because the hurt is real. Help me to be changed by, your, by you and your power. And God, as I walk as a Christian, I ask that I focus on the pure message of Jesus alone. And I don't add in morals and politics and preferences, but just you. Thank you for forgiving me, Jesus. Thank you for changing me, Jesus. I love you. I trust you. Amen. And God, I just close this whole teaching time in prayer. I, I ask for me personally, and you guys can, can agree in all of this, and I ask for me personally, God, that I would put away my preferences and put away my things, God, and, and, and you would give me a bigger hammer to just get rid of the foolishness that I have in my life. God, I lift up this week as we go out and walk around as Christians, God, that we would be blind but beautiful lights because of you. That anything that clouds the message of Jesus in our life, God, we would just, just kill it off. That we would never hide what you are. God's... Sometimes it's so frustrating that the church, actually the building becomes the bushel that we hide the light of Christ under. That we are so on fire for Jesus in a building, but we miss the opportunities when we're outside of it. Help us never to hide the light under a bushel, to blow it out, to become saltless salt.
Give us a fire for you, God. Give us an excitement for you. May, may the message of Jesus ignite us. May your scripture, as we read it daily this week, just ignite us for the mission you have for us, God. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. Amen. amen.